Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. This is the Dingers Podcast, presented to you by ShyCitySports.com, with your host Mitch, Jake, Jeff, and Kevin. Let's talk some Cubs baseball. Hi, and welcome to the Dingers Podcast, episode 66. I'm your host, Mitch. I'm here with my man, Jake. How are you tonight, Jake? Doing well, man. Doing well. Really excited about our guest tonight. How are, how are you doing, Mitch? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, because... I mean, going into today, knowing that Major League Baseball and the Players Association were going to meet today, I was not very optimistic about how this was going to go, especially after the the owners came with their deal. I felt like the players were going to come back and be pretty, I mean, not lenient on what they were going to want. And yeah. to hear that, I mean, it was a heated discussion, but to hear that there was some headway made in that they're going to meet again tomorrow. Like I'm pretty feeling pretty good about that. Feeling pretty Long optimistic. Time, it's like, yeah, deal's going to get done. I I, I want it. So Fingers feeling crossed. pretty good. So yeah, let's bring on Lance. Cause I um, mean, we have a ton of questions and we want to just drink in his wealth of knowledge. Cause he has a ton of it. So welcome to the show. Lance Brozdowski from this. This is fun. This is fun because you guys both have like really fun last names. <laughs> this is Brozdowski. It's super fanatical. I imagine. You, you, I don't know if yours is fanatical too. Is it? Is it just Bujanowski? No, the J is silent, so people have that J. To <laughs> oh, interesting. Over. Okay. Yeah, okay. so it's Banowski. Yeah. Banowski. No, oh man, they one butchered. person my one person my entire life's gotten it right, and I was oh, like, man. "How did you? <laughs> How did you know?" Oh, they butcher so. yours a lot more than mine. Then, yeah, for sure. Jeez. Is this is that like a Polish? I was like looking it up. Is like the yeah. ski at the end? Is that a Polish last name? Yeah, SKI generally Polish, SKY generally Russian, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. that's the, the the denoting that I've seen too. Yeah, yeah, two Polacks, <laughs> love it. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> well, Jake, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, yeah, Lance. Like I said uh, in pre, thanks for joining us, man. Um, really excited to have you on. Obviously, uh, Marquee Network contributor, more than contributor. What's your What's your official title, Lance? Yeah, multimedia producer is, is still my title. I think it might be changing up this year, but for now, multimedia producer. That's exciting. That's exciting yeah. stuff. Well, we'll we'll get to that. I kind of want to start with just kind of taking us through how you got to Marquee. Obviously, you've got some really impressive journalistic experience from Rasball, baseball prospectus, even to the AP. But I'm most curious about driveline baseball. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience and how you ended up as a video editor with driveline? 
Yeah, yeah. Driveline was great. I mean, I'm actually wearing a Driveline shirt right now. Uh, yeah. It's pretty funny. I love those guys. Every single one of them has been an incredible resource to me in understanding more things about baseball. Um, I'm indebted to so many guys there. I, I was at the American Baseball Coaches Association conference the other weekend, and we uh, I met up with some guys I hadn't seen in, in forever or never met, actually, because I was remote. So, like, yeah. they're out in Seattle. I'm, I'm from Connecticut, so I was back. To them. But yeah, that link up was very random. I was doing a story on, I was looking for the Associated Press doing a story on Luke Jackson <clears throat> and uh, from the Braves, the Braves reliever, really good guy. Um, yeah. trained, trained at Driveline for a little bit. He and I chatted in the Wrigley Clubhouse, actually, away, away, away Clubhouse. We were talking through his slider change. And I just like, he just, vi we vibed and I was like, I want to do more on this. So I ended up connecting with his, his trainer at Driveline, Bill Hazel. And Bill Hazel and I hit it off. And then they were like looking for someone with Adobe uh, experience. On the premiere side, just being able to edit video, and they need to stitch together Edutronic camera report uh, footage. So, like, literally that slow mo camera stuff you see in pitch design sessions yeah. that most organizations utilize. They needed to like stitch that to Rapsodo TrackMan reports. So, like, being able to tell because like none of this, none of these systems are synced up, which is kind of like a dirty little secret of a lot of of the tech in baseball is it's all like by individual companies. So the integration of them is kind of a pain. Um, yeah. But this was prior to Driveline releasing Track and some other things that I think cleared up this issue. But uh, but yeah, I was literally just stitching. I was watching uh, electronic footage of pitchers and stitching it back to the trackmans and basically putting the, together these small videos packages for guys as they like went away from driveline, so went to the season to like help them maintain stuff. So say they came there and worked on a slider, um, and they changed the shape from X to Y. You know, we'd show a split up of those two grips and like what they're doing cue wise, what the movement different was, difference was, so like they'd be able to go back to it. And it's just like a kind of a it was a really cool job. I mean. It was just awesome to be able to expose myself to some of those things on a non-team level. And I imagine a lot of stuff that I was looking at is very comparable to what teams look at. So I've seen TrackMan reports. I've seen all that stuff. It really helped me kind of just advance my knowledge. It also helped me allow me to pick the brain of a lot of people who have now moved on to like assistant pitching coaching roles and a lot of other cool roles. Yeah. Daniel Moskos, actually, the assistant pitching coach for the Cubs was one of the individuals I worked with. So that was really cool to see him get a scoop from, the, from the Yankees. Yeah, so I'm really excited. We chatted, uh, I want to say like maybe a month or two ago or something. I'm really excited to, to run into him in, in Wrigley Field and stuff and chat more. But uh, he was fun to work with and a bunch of other guys. They, they, they churn out so many people there that get scooped up by major league organizations that yeah. like, it's like the people I worked with are no longer there and then they have a whole new wave of people. So it's good to like keep networking and like keep in touch with the guys there because I know the guys there then will eventually go to teams most likely. So yeah, it's, it's nuts. It seems like every every offseason there's there's another <laughs> coach hired from driveline or one yeah. of the driveline yep. competitors. It's it's nuts. I mean, it, it shows the it how how technology has influenced the game. And, and that's something that obviously we want to get into with you. But I have to comment. I mean, how many people can say that they that they got a job uh, through connection with a major league baseball player like Luke Jackson? Got yeah, a job it's so weird. Like, he kind of got it. He didn't like explicitly recommend me, but like Bill. Yeah, yeah, right. Right from our interaction because i was like wow i just feel like bill explained everything to me so coherently i was like i have to keep in touch with him and like use him as a resource when other things come up on the pitching side i need to understand and then yeah. that that full circle came full circle so yeah in a way i guess luke jackson led me to bill Maybe which led me to drive line which led me about yeah, yeah you're framing it more more uh <laughs> better than maybe i would but that's nice of you <laughs> No, man. I mean, it's it's very cool. I, I'm I'm envious. I I have a journalism background, so I'm super envious of all of you. I I snooped on your uh, your LinkedIn profile, obviously, to get some of that some of yeah. that info to see that the stops that you took is is awesome. Like, I mean, that's Thanks. something that like when I went to journalism school, I was like, that's that's what I want to do. And I've I've since gone out into uh, into graphic design, but it's cool that I get to be on the podcast with with Mitch and, and the Dingers crew. But 
Um, you kind of talked a little bit about, about driveline, but mm -hmm. I feel like there are a lot of fans out there who definitely don't know what driveline is and are maybe are familiar with like the Cubs pitch lab and kind of have a sense of what's going on behind the scenes. I think as Cubs fans are really lucky. Sahad of Sharma for the athletic does a really great job yeah, of diving into job. that, that data. Um, and then of course, Bleacher Nation kind of, kind of regurgitates that and, and puts it into lay turn for some people. But could you kind of give us like a sense of what, like, like an overview of like the pitcher is going to drive line. I'm sure like obviously there are a bunch of different things that they've been working on, but could you kind of give us like a little overview for fans that maybe don't know what drive line is? Um, what kind of goes on there? Yeah. Yeah. I think very put, simply put, it's a third, third party player development company. And the reason they exist is this pretty simply that they think they can develop players better than maybe some major league organizations can, or at least I think in a general sense, provide more specific training. And I think that's a big mm -hmm. issue, which you run into some of the, the differences in organizations, you have like coordinators at the top generally for, for like pitching coordinators and such. And the Cubs organization, for example, will try to push theories and ideas down as to what they think would be successful to coaches and stuff. And then that gets communicated to the player. So it's communication is massive in any work field, but especially in baseball and player development. Um, so whenever there's lapses in those systems, you know, especially team to team, it obviously varies heavily team to team and their efficiency and ability to develop players. Um, driveline can step in as like a third party as like instead of you know a guy training at a, a general facility say he wants to change something you get exceptionally better say he's kind of like that fringe quad a guy and he, he realizes that he's maybe on his way out and he needs to develop something that's a little bit of an outlier trait um you know there's a variety of these companies like driveline is one of them the most popular because i think that they build systems better than anybody else um on the third party player development side of things but tread athletics x2 and arizona is super popular and there's a ton of these companies that train players. And I think at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, what relationships the player has with the coach. Cause I think that's a, that's a huge thing. That's kind of maybe overlooked a lot is like, mm. why does one player go to one org and be successful? Like, I think the one that we always hear all the time is like glass now. It's like, wow, what if the yeah. pirates kept glass now? It's like, well, the principal argument there that everyone overlooks is that the pirates just didn't have the development in place that the race had. So yeah. if the pirates kept glass now, glass would probably be a fringe starter until he was yep. traded into another org. And pirates are obviously getting a lot better on that side with hiring Sherrington and such. But like the systems that teams have in place, you know, and this is things they do well. Like some teams are better, I think, at adding certain pitches. And generally this is reflected in what they tend to acquire. You know, the Cubs have a bit of a slant towards sinker changeups, I think, in the minor yeah. leagues. And, you know, is that because they think those pitches are better or is that because they think they could develop sliders? Like there's a lot of theory around there. I think depending on who you talk to, you might get different answers and such. And maybe there isn't a direct answer. Um, but yeah, but I, I don't know if I got off topic there, but driveline is really, you know, I don't, I don't want to go through like the whole process, but it comes down to understanding the athlete. There's movement screenings, strength screenings, and all these things to make sure that like what they're trying to coach a guy to do, their body can actually physically uh, is able to do. I think that's another right. thing that's often overlooked a ton is like, you know, I think in super low levels, like, like let's, let's talk high school level, like you'll run into issues all the time where coaches will try to cue athletes in a certain way, then their body literally just cannot move in that way. Right. You know what I mean? Like watching video of a guy like a U Darvish in terms of how well he separates up down the mound and how good extension he gets and his control of his own body. You know, that's something you can aspire to be when you're a 17 year old pitcher in high school, but like you cannot move like you Darvish. Like if you're moving like you Darvish, then you're Shohei Otani. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. you're an elite high school player, like like a Jack Leiter, I'm sure, coming out of high school mm -hmm. was probably that way. But again, it's just like they do a really good job understanding athletes and pushing them towards goals. And I, again, a super interesting part of it is understanding like what to do with a player, I think is another thing. It's like, you know, depending on slot, depending on a variety of things, like do you want to get to a guy to this certain 
pitch characteristic area or even more generally like if you're trying to improve an athlete's efficiency or their ability to transfer energy through their kinetic chain to potentially throw harder you could do that in a variety of ways you can play with a variety of things if a guy's efficiency isn't really really high and it's like a matter of what you want to tweak how that tweak may affect other things like it's very very philosophical i think that's the fun from what i've heard from a lot of coaches is like positing on what to change you know based on how difficult that change would be based on the potential reward um, based on the residual components of what would happen after the fact of that change, how successful you would even be in making that change, which gets back to the athlete buy-in side of things. There's just so many layers. Um, and uh, Driveline just is, does a really good job of building systems in terms of being able to communicate all that information down. Um, and that's why I think they become so popular and so many teams have vultured guys all over the place from, from uh, their, their team out there in the uh, Seattle area, greater Seattle area. So, yeah. Since you brought up high school, yeah. like, I, I'm a former high school baseball coach. I was a head baseball coach for like five, six years. And being, especially living in Iowa, it's really hard for high school baseball players in the state of Iowa because we're one of the only high school that plays baseball in the summer. It's not a fall sport. It's a summer sport is to get high school players want to be seen and want to get bring the technology to them because really, really the mm. only thing that the state of Iowa's have is we have perfect games in Cedar Rapids, but there's not a lot of facilities. So my question is, when do you see like Rapsodo and these type of technologies become more affordable and to the level where a parent or a high school coach could buy them and be able to implement them into um, being able to get all the data and analytics that they need to make good decisions and to be able to help um, high school players make growth. Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know if I have enough understanding of the cost of a variety of these things. I know that a, there, a lot of those companies' missions are to push this stuff down to the really low levels because I think at the end of the day, when you have it in more people's hands, you tend to see more reaction to it and more learning from it. Um, I think this is an issue we're running into a bit with Hawkeye right now is where it's only sectioned off to the 30 major league parks. So you're only mm -hmm. able to get in-game data. So guys aren't able to train on the side from what I understand. I don't know if any facilities like the pitching lab, I would assume the pitching lab for the Cubs does not have Hawkeye set up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, that's a huge issue. Cause like you're running into different ways of capturing data between the major league level when you're on the mount in game versus then when you're capturing it in pens and such, which a lot of training in, the, in variety of different skill improvement characteristics like that comes into play then. It doesn't really come into play when you're on the mound. You know what I mean? You prep the process is what you put the time into such that you're then able to go perform. He's not, those guys aren't tweaking pitches mid game and trying funky pitches and pitch designing in game. So that creates a bit of an issue, but illustrating that back to your point, I think at the end of the day, it's a huge issue because a lot of the tech is incredibly expensive. There's a lot of R and D that goes into the tech, which is going to always keep that cost really, really high. So I don't even think I know I have a good answer for that <laughs> yeah. question. I think there's probably a lot of other people out there that would be better suited to answer a question like that. But it's a limitation of this for sure. I think you're seeing a lot. I think over the last probably 10 years, the, there's been relatively exponential growth in the amount of collegiate. And I'm not even talking D1. I'm talking like D2, D3, JUCO mm. level that have TrackMan setups. And I think at the end of the, at the, end of the day, like TrackMan is becoming a bit of a standard from what I understand. There's a lot of issues rep, with Rapsodo on some to some extent and track trackman has a bit of an optical mobile unit which again you're the cheaper you're going to the more you're running into probably some data error which yep. creates a huge problem for actually trying to do things accurately and you know it creates a lot of moral issues of like should they even be selling it if it's only like 85 or whatever percent again i'm making up numbers here 
85% accurate, you know, every, right. every 10th pitch you're missing, it's telling you something wrong. Like that could really affect the training side of things, especially if that's your only resource and you're learning and maybe your coaches aren't particularly educated on how to utilize those tech, uh, various tech. But uh, it's a great question. Yeah. It's something that I imagine all these companies are trying to answer. I don't know how good my answer is to it though, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. My, my follow-up to that is, so we talked a little bit before uh, off camera, before the podcast about, Technology is really advanced when it comes to the pitching side of things. Do you see in the next few years that being caught up in the hitting side where we will see an advancement in that? Because right now in the game of baseball, pitching, it definitely has the advantage. Like they're throwing harder. They're they're keeping batters way off off balance. And it's like the hitters are just behind right now. And we understand there's an ebb and flow there that kind of goes back and forth. The, the hitters will catch up eventually and get used to it. But do you see that technology starting to be put in to help the hitters? Yeah, I I think so. I think it comes down to, again, a lot of variables in this. Um, I think the key thing to understand is just that the reason I think at least pitching has gone to where it has gone to is because in the batter hitter interaction, the pitcher is always going to have the initiative. So the ability to take that as much as, as game replica as you can and take that out of the pitching scenario and put it into a practice setting where you can train it is much easier than taking the hitting side of things and bringing it out, particularly because it's really hard to get good live pitching to face, you know, and also because like generally most machines aren't replicating actual pitch movement for the most part, like it'll replicate high efficiency pitches, but it has a difficulty replicating sliders and other things because of how they move, which is a topic I'm not really going to get into, but it's a huge thing in baseball. There's Ben Lindbergh of the ringer wrote a really good story on it. That kind of talks through it. I highly recommend anyone jumping and checking that out. If they're interested in some nerd stuff, but that's kind of the main problem is like, and you're seeing the push towards this now more is like practice how you play, like a huge focus on the hitting side of like replicating in-game movement and in-game environments and even environments even more difficult than that as much as possible. So that is like a huge push from the kidding coaches I've talked to. I've really tried this offseason to kind of expand my understanding of the hitting side. I'm still doing as good of a job as I can of trying to distill some of that information down. So I'm comfortable then communicating it back to the public, which is always kind of the crux on all this is like, I try to get really deep such that I have all the follow-up questions answered before I go out and say like, you know, I'm, I'm starting to learn about like different classes of hitting philosophy and how contrasting they are. And like the fun thing is when the guys are like, oh, they're all saying the same thing. They're just saying it in a different way. And like you get into so many different like teacher man. I don't know if anyone's read Jared Diamond Swing Kings. That's a really interesting book. Um, that's a good good kind of high level macro concept of like what goes on in the hitting world. But do I think it'll catch up? I think it will. But I think it comes down to the training side. Um, I think that there are a lot of hitters, from what I understand, that just don't get super uncomfortable. And this is a common thing you're going to hear a ton is just comfortability and making yourself uncomfortable in the box. Well, then. Uh, create better in-game results. And I've seen this with a couple minor leagues in terms of their turnaround. I've talked to some and followed some in terms of this turnaround they've specifically made. But yeah, it's just easier, I think, on the pitching side to replicate the training elements such that you're then able to practice and practice in different ways, practice more difficulty. That initiative the pitchers have is so huge and the reactionary element of hitting is very, very difficult. Um, mm. So I think they're always going to be a bit behind, which is maybe a little bit of evidence for the for the league potentially stepping in and doing something to try to balance it out. But I do think there is a natural ebb and flow to this. We've seen it over the last couple of years too, with like, if you just look at like upper part of the zone, high fastball swing rates, they've gone down over the last couple of years among hitters, which is, it's really small margins, but that's kind of telling you to some extent that hitters are understanding how to lay off those pitches because they're really difficult to do damage on. So maybe some of that effectiveness on the fastball side is going away. 
I got a friend who was super into basketball and there's been like the three point revolution kicked up. And now this year there's actually been a bit of like the two point efficiencies kind of, from what I understand, jump back up. Like efficient two pointers are much more popular and it's just an ebb and flow. You know what I mean? Like, I think when that happened in basketball, everyone was like, we should make a four point line or move it back or something. And that's kind of what we're running into a baseball, which in my mind just makes me think that in the next one to two years, we might just have a little bit of ebb back mm-hmm. into the point where maybe it's like hitting pops a little bit more, but the style of hitting is also a problem too. Like yeah. I would say like offense, it feels like it's down, but it feels like it's down because of the kind of offense you get rather than like, it's not like we're in a, I mean, I don't think we're in a dead ball era really. Right. Or like we, we could have, just play with two different balls. Exactly. Which is kind of, <laughs> pretty much did that. I mean, last year, that's what I understand. But, uh, but yeah, the ball is another thing. And this on the pitching and the hitting side, it's like hitters aren't going to consistently know how pitches move and pitchers are going to not consistently they move either. So you're running into massive problems. And it's just like, there's so many things in that, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think it will catch up in some, I don't know how much it will catch up. I think pitchers will always have an advantage because of that training element of being able, how much easy, more easily, e- easier you can replicate in-game scenarios as a pitcher than you can as a hitter. Yeah. I think that's a really good distinction. You, you bring up a lot, man, you bring up a lot of stuff and there are a lot of questions I want to ask. And um, we only, <laughs> we only have an hour, but I, yeah, man, this is, this is good info. I, one, one other thing I'm curious about too, like obviously now you're, you're in a setting working with the Cubs, talking to the minor leaguers. I watched a bunch of your interviews. I love the Ryan Jensen interview, which begs Thanks. the question. Talk to us about how your experience at Driveline and, and all your all your cumulative experience, of course, but just because we've you know, been talking about Driveline and the analytics sure. and, and uh, technology, how does that inform the way you approach um, these conversations that you're having with Cubs minor leaguers now? Uh, it makes it, It's huge. Uh, it's essential. Um, I think that one of the key things I have as like applying this guy thing down the road in my career, whether it be in specifically on the media side or wherever I end up, like I think that there needs to be more people who understand things that potentially might go to the two teams. Like I think that's the main problem on the media side with baseball is we have a lot of people who are really intelligent who end up going team side as opposed to a lot of people who end up media side. And I've had opportunities to go team side. And I just, I really feel passionately about the media side and trying to change things. We're um, thankful you're on the media side because you're, <laughs> you're absolutely right that we need people like you yeah. breaking it down for us. I just think that there's so much opportunity for that. I think, I think down the road, you're going to see a massive wave of just really smart coordinators and coaches coming out of baseball and potentially mm-hmm. going to the media side. And, and that will change coverage because you'll have more informed analysis, I think, mm-hmm. than we have currently gotten. And this isn't to say that like, the majority of analysis out there is poor. I think Boone and JD do an incredible job of marquee broadcast. I think they're like Joe Davis is incredible. Most color analysts, I, I don't mind. Like, I think they're good, but I do think, again, there's a lot of opportunity to insert. And this will naturally happen as like the players who are currently playing now that have interacted with this tech come out. But I think there's an opportunity to speed that up and not have to wait 15 mm-hmm. years to get well, it's take, like a the college. Fans are getting curious. The fans are going to continue to get curious about it too. Exactly. I think a lot of it right now, obviously, the, the fan base old, skews older. But it does for sure. I think you and I, I think you and I, I'm 28. I think you and I are around the same age. Yeah, and I think, yeah. Okay. So I think like our generation and then of course the younger generation growing up with technology and, and being exposed to potentially yeah. this technology at a younger age and, and being fans of the sports. Yeah. They're going to demand color commentators who, who understand what's, what's being looked at on the technological side and analytical side. And yeah, I think that's a really great point that you bring up. And I'm, I'm excited at the prospect of, of people that are in organizations coming out and, and sharing all of that information with us. Yeah, and we've seen a little bit. We've seen like Goldstein at Fangrass pop out and stuff. And he's got a really good understanding of what's going on. Like there's a variety of guys like that. But I think that, again, like one thing that I've kind of in my head sorted out in the last couple of years is like, I think a lot of people are going to the written side naturally. And I, I actually wanted to be a B writer out of 
grad school and stuff and I thought that was my path. But the more I've like interacted with a lot of these topics, the more I think it's really, really difficult to communicate these things in the written word. And yes. especially the more I've heard about other people who are the same way as visual learners and especially how many players I've talked to that are visual learners. Like they're very, like the reason that I think those stories always pop every year of like this player is reading this book or this or that, or like gets really technical or is nerdy. Those stick out because the majority of baseball players are probably visual learners who don't yeah. read a hundred books a year, like the Sean Doolittle's of the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like they absorb information differently. And I think that it's easier to communicate a lot of these topics visually. So that's why I've kind of, I write and I still write, I still like writing, but I really have pushed towards the video side, I think recently in the last year, and I'm going to keep going with that. It's well, just I'll, like a I'll, medium I'll, that I think will work. I'll pump your tires a little bit that you say. do a very good job of of communicating it very eloquently and very easy for the layman to be able to understand and get into what you're talking about. Like I've had numerous different Cubs fans I've talked to when you did the interview with Owen Casey and you did the interview with DJ hers and those, it's like, Mm. they love that. They won because that time in the Cubs season, they really were wanting those minor league just little peek ins and you gave that and you provided great information for us to be able to see that. So you do a great job of communicating that and and we need that. I appreciate that a ton. So let's, let's dig a little bit into the Cubs minor league system and then we'll move on to uh, the major league system. So uh, we're really interested in Caleb Killian um, killed it in the AFL. Uh, Can you just dig into where, where do you think his, do you see him penciled in as a big league debut maybe in the 2022 season, or do you see that maybe 2023? Where do you see him, his trajectory? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say I'm not the best at predicting timeline on things just because I, I think that I generally, I think a lot of people put probably too much into that yeah. as opposed to the analysis itself. It's like guys get called whatever an injury could happen. Next thing he's up and he shoves and he sticks, you know what I mean? It's like, yep. Does your ETA 2023 late really matter? But so I don't really get into the timeline things. I think Killian's good. I think he's a really interesting pitcher. Mixes a lot of pitches. He runs into a thing that I think is going to be pretty popular in the coming year, which is related to like intended zones. So I think for a while, um, any communication of baseball information, we run into the idea of like command. This guy had his command. This guy did not have good command. And I think so much of baseball has become objective, forcing us to like look at the numbers to back up statements like that. That command, for the most part, I think over the last couple of years, has stayed in this ethereal realm of just like, whatever happens happens like we think it was good command or not it's like an easy excuse to plug in that you don't really need to back up with data and we're starting to see now that companies like driveline and other organizations are utilizing information that comes from these data sources like stats lc which is based in chicago uh inside edge is another one not super known maybe to most people but they're stat providers that mlb teams purchase from and some of the data that they've been tracking over the last couple of years is known as intended zone data so what it is is it's literally people going in and plugging in where they think the pitcher wanted the pitch to go and then mm-hmm. by looking at what the result of that actual pitch was and calculating the difference, you could come up with the miss patterns for pitchers. So you can actually objectively tell how much better someone is at commanding their specific pitches or general repertoire than other pitchers in baseball. And I think that is incredibly important just from an understanding standpoint of getting us to like Kyle Hendricks is a great example. Let us understand how good at commanding the baseball he is. And yeah. it backs him up in spades from the data I've seen. Like he's really good at it. And how good is he? And on a specific start, can we actually attribute it to commander? Can we attribute it to something else? Was it mechanical? Do we think it was mechanical? That's something that might be really difficult for us to ever understand. But just by adding another five to 10% of knowledge of this command side, even if there's some error in the data, it's huge. And getting back to Killian here, it's like, I think for the most part, I haven't seen his minor league command data, but I imagine it pops really, really well. And this is something that I think for the most part, the Cubs have had a bit of a slant towards, which is interesting. 
Um, I don't know if they just think it's really difficult to train. My theory is that they probably think it's difficult to train because for the most part, we don't really have an understanding of what makes good command. Um, you will hear a lot of times that consistent command mechanics make good command. But from my understanding, there's actually no studies. There's no medical research or anything that command is actually a predictor of, or excuse me, of good consistent mechanics are a predictor of being able to locate the ball well because there's so much subtle variation at your fingertips when you release that creates massive misses. So you could have the per most perfect mechanics in the world, but like you could still also probably have bad command. And I think that we often conflate those two where we see bad mechanics or weird mechanics and we're like, man, he does, just doesn't have good command. It's like, well, maybe he's actually transferring energy efficiently and it's bad command. And we have to figure out something. Or, or maybe he has great command, but poor mechanics. Like there's a lot of these instances. And it, obviously this is like teams with their with the Rays exploit this stuff really well. They understand the difference between the two and are able to kind of distill it all down. So I really like Killian. I think that he fits in that window of having a bit of an outlier skill and being able to control the zone really well. I would imagine if you saw eventually his intended zone data, which I think might become a little more public in the coming years, he's a guy that will pop on that and we'll probably end up top 25 percentile. Um, be pretty good. Like, I think he's a command-based pitcher. And that leaves a, a bit of an issue because I think there's a lot of guys who have gone more towards stuff. You hear, like, the Reds organization is a great contrast. Most of the guys in that pen are stuff-based. Most of the starting pitchers in that rotation, Sonny Gray, Tyler mm -hmm. Molly, are stuff-based. When they bring up Lodolo and Hunter Green, those guys are going to be stuff-based. Stuff-based, I mm -hmm. mean pitch movement based yep. on their arm slot, et cetera, velocity, and, like, tying all those together and coming up with a number of how good that is. Whereas Killing doesn't really pop in any of those things. What he pops on, again, is the command side of things. So you run into, like, different kinds of error that I think he'll run into as a pitcher. Like, he, he may just not have his command one day and just get torched. But, mm. I, again, you run into stuff guys. Like, maybe the margin error there is different. They don't have stuff on the given day. So I think thing to tie it all together is, like, I think that defense is a key thing that will impact him and also a guy like Marcus Stroman a lot coming forward in the coming years. Infield defense shifting, understanding shifting, understanding how to play. I also think getting buy-in on everyone of understanding the scouting port in terms of how the hitter's being pitched to elicit a certain kind of ground ball and positioning players as a result of that. So I think there's a lot of factors out of Killian's control that will influence how he pitches, which for the most part is kind of pitching at the end of the, end of the day, as you, as you guys might know. But but yeah, he's a good pitcher. He's really interesting. He misses a ton of pitches. He's a fun guy to talk to. I know he's been tinkering with the changeup for the last the two times I talked to him last year in Tennessee when he got traded, and then in the AFL, he tried a couple of grips out. He's been playing with that. Um, I still think he's primarily probably like a sinker cutter guy with a good curve. Um, as a whole, the velocity isn't there from a stuff perspective, so that's another interesting card. You know, I'd love to see him add some velo. I'd love to see him become like a ninety, a higher nineties guy or like a mid ninety six consistently. Um, what's he saying right now? Uh, I got my data here. Let me pull it up. I can get some objective info here, which I've been uh, talking about. Uh, what do I have on him? I had him at 94 with the sinker at 92.3 or 92.9. So, yeah, he's in the 94.93, which is kind of average major league velocity. Um, and yeah. I think that could work at the end of the day. The cutter's in, like, the low 90s as well. Um, curveball velo is, like, 79 or 78. This is what I have. Obviously, some of this information could have changed. But, uh, but yeah, he's an interesting guy. I, I think, again, it doesn't pop any of the stuff metrics, but I think he's a guy like a – maybe like a Chris Bassidy type. Where maybe mm. there's enough deception in that delivery such that you could actually list some better results than the, the stuff will say. He could be a consistent outperformer of his FIP. Um, but he, yeah. he feels like a really high floor arm for me uh, coming from the San Francisco system. That's what, that's, that's, that's what we like to hear. I mean, yeah. we, we, we're going to get into it. I, you know, we've, been, we've been dying for homegrown pitching for a long time. The closest thing that we've had recently, even though we, we did trade for him, but he feels homegrown. He's been around for so long. Kyle Hendricks. Uh, yeah. Kind of touched on him. Do you have a sense for like, what's your faith that that Kyle Hendricks is going to be able to have 
a, a bounce back next season. Do you see, can you kind of see what went wrong for him in, in the 2021 season? I looked at this right before I, you were, uh, Mitch mentioned Kyle Hendrickson. I just pulled up some of the data quick and was looking at pitch movement. And so I was wondering if anything changed there. He had a really bad year. I didn't realize how bad of a year he had. I watched a lot of yeah, the starts too. And I feel like I ran into some starts where he actually pitched well. So there's clearly something still in the tank, but there's really no positives to take from this year, which is really odd. Um, I didn't see too much in the data on the pitch side that changed drastically such that it was creating different pitch shapes or like he'd lost below or the, maybe he lost a little command. I think that like aging, because we don't have this command data, aging of command is something that's really interesting. I always speculated that it got better, a little bit of survivorship yeah. bias of guys who like, if you're in the league until you're 35, you probably have some semblance of command or you're out of the league when you're 30, when your command goes and your stuff you know what I mean? So it's like if a, like a Verlander, all these guys who were all like Jamie Moore. Why was Jamie Moore in the league really long? Right. Probably just yeah. get really good command. You know, like there's a lot of bias in like older guys having good command. Bartolo Colon is another great example. So yeah. I think for the most part that like Hendricks will be fine. Like I guess that that's a weird take, but it's funny because I, I, feel <laughs> I, like I agree. Step back and look at the data and it's like, Jesus Christ, what happened? But I yeah. do remember multiple starts last year where it was just like he was fine. Um, they faced maybe they faced a weak AL Central, I think, too, which maybe helped them a little bit in some of those starts. Um, ton of home runs, which is the same thing Alzelay ran into. Yeah. I think that maybe gets back into some of the bad ball environment stuff with Wrigley Field, which I believe is some stuff was published on. Um, I don't want to set up Tom because I don't remember specifically, but um, yeah, I, I guess I trust him. Like I think he's a guy that utilizes the seamship today wake really well, which is this concept of being able to understand how the ball moves a little bit differently than we tracked it for the last however many years because of how the airflow around it air flows around it is, is potentially influenced by the seams a little bit. So he utilizes that really well, which is, I think, something a lot of teams are trying to get a better understanding of and be able to utilize in pitchers. And again, the command's good. It still pops on all the command metrics I've seen. Um, I, I, I chalk it up to a weird year, but I imagine even with slight home run regression, like he comes back down to maybe like a three, six ERA guy. Um, and he's hopefully like the one or two in the rotation. So I still have faith in him. I don't know if it's unfounded. I just, it's, it, he just was really bad last year and I can't figure out yeah. why. Like there's nothing there for me to be like, yeah, like he didn't really have the curve. I know the curve faded a lot, but the Velo was fine. Like that hasn't aged. It's kind of ticked up over the last couple of years, which is weird. I'm curious. Um, like I know one thing that, yeah. that's been discussed in, in pitching um, over the last couple of years, you talked about high fastballs yeah. and how hitters are just kind of wisening up to that and, and, and laying off if, if they're, if they're good at adapting, I should say. Mm -hmm. I remember reading something probably in, God, it might've even been like 2019, a, a Saad of Sharma piece, I believe. Mm -hmm. He was talking about Hendricks working the sinker up in the zone more, which I always thought was funny. Like I, I'm a big MLB the show player and you get spammed sinkers up in the zone. I don't know if you've ever played it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's, but but I was like, oh man, like there might be some like credence to this. And it it's something that I noticed Hendricks, I think start doing more in 2020. I'm curious if the location data is on there. We don't have to unpack it right now, but um, hmm. that was kind of one of the things that, that I was thinking about last year, but it's just Hendricks is my personal favorite player. And so to it's have fun. him struggle last year, yeah, he's, he's just, he's super fun to watch. He's so methodical. He's so thoughtful about the process. It's great to watch interviews of him, but I, yeah, on top of everything that happened last year for Hendricks, to struggle is just like, ah, okay, ready for 2022. I even remember there was an interview with him and Noble, towards the end of the season where they were both kind of like, we don't know, like we're doing the same exact things. We just aren't getting the results that we were getting before. And so, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's I, tough. I, I I don't know what to chalk it up to. I'd be really interested. Maybe they have more information there than they're giving you, which they probably yeah. do. Um, yeah. Which I think it went back to a lot of like mechanics and stuff in season, which gets back to the whole idea of like do mechanics actually influence command that much? Um, I think they do to some extent. I think there's enough yeah. players saying it such that there's probably something in the data. We just don't have good data to back it up. Um, so yeah, they take it with the mechanics, but I don't think they really saw too much of a result. It's just he's a weird case, man. I don't know. I just I, I think maybe it just goes back to the whole idea of like. If command is super finicky and maybe it's not as consistent year to year, then like if he's missing his spots slightly, then like he's putting himself in like large danger areas. And maybe there was just a higher conversion of those large danger area pitches. You know, like you take however many pitchers in the league and you have them all throw league average fastballs down the middle of the plate, they're going to get different results in who's actually capitalizing on those pitches. But there's there's a good chance you're just experiencing random variants here on the homer side where he gives up a lot of home runs because he's just running into some pitches where maybe he's not locating them as well and then they're ending up in higher danger areas and then those hitters are converting on him. I seem to remember this in a brave start that he had maybe Sunday night baseball. He got hit really hard really early. You know, it's like that stuff's tough for me. It's like Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If like I don't expect him to have those many blow up games again, you know. And yeah. if if teams are just able to capitalize on those small innings where his mechanics are off or he's missing location again, like we this would be something we'd be able to look at is see like that brave start and see like based on his intended zone was he missing three, four, five inches more than he normally does. Yeah. So then you could go, okay, like this is a decent explainer. What's going on here? You know, like that's a key thing. I, I, as opposed to just anecdotally thinking he misses spots more, it's like maybe we can actually look at it. And if it's not that, then it like really makes us go, huh, what's really happening? Yeah. But yeah, I, I think he'll be good. I don't know. I guess I take the large sample of like what he's done. I'm not sure what the Seamer projections are on him right now. Oh, I haven't okay, checked those either. projections don't like him at all. So that's yeah, really I, feel like I, I feel like maybe I did see that in passing. Yeah, I've been, I've been all over Jeez. this. For, for, for fantasy baseball I don't think he's done. He's only 32. Like, the view yeah. is still there. Like, I I, I think he's going to be okay. I think you maybe end up with something more like a like a 2019 season. He was like a 3-4, well, let's say like a 3-7. I bet he's like in between a 3-7 and a 4, which is very much probably on the under of whatever uh, prediction he has. But I think he's such a good field pitcher that, like, I imagine he figures something out, whether it be pitch shape or the ability to capitalize on some more extra movement via, like, something like a seam effects or a seam shifted way. I wouldn't be shocked if he's back to being fine next year. Before we get back into the minor leagues, I do want to touch on Edbert Elsley. Yeah, uh, for sure. Man, like his stuff is nasty, but yeah. he really struggled this year. And you saw it with the lefties. Left-handed batters just crushed him, and he gave up a ton of dingers. And so oh, what, what do you think? Is it pitch mix? Is it 
just learning something a, a different pitch to be able to really go after lefties. What do you what do you see in Alzale and how is he going to make the next step forward in in his growth this next season? Yeah, it's a, he's, a, he's a fun one because we've been talking, I feel, about command with Killian and Hendricks and even like you could attach that to Mills and Davies and stuff. And like Alzale is kind of the opposite. Alzale is like a stuff guy where mm. he's his slider is like legitimately one of the better sliders in baseball in terms of how it grades out. He has like a really interesting ability to get a little bit of vertical movement. So like that pitch ends up a little bit higher in the zone than you'd expect and takes off laterally. He's devastating versus right-handed hitters. I don't think he has any problem there at all. So I think personally, like it's maybe a little bit overblown to think that he should like to get better at his changeup or like mixing the curveball more, mixing all these pitches more. Like I legitimately think if you did exactly what he did last year as a starting pitcher and just copy pasted it into next year, like you'll just catch some decent regression on the on the homer side of things. He was like he was even giving up 1.79 homers per nine, which is I imagine is probably top five to ten in baseball last year. Yeah, that's, that's a ton. Um, I imagine that just comes down naturally to maybe like one three ish and then you're probably looking at a guy who's like flat four eras absolutely nasty versus righties i really like the concept of adding cutters to a repertoire from a perspective and and so you'll see like these lateral sliders that all you guys are throwing now they're known as like sweepers you're going to probably start to hear it this year um pitches that basically sweep across the zone have a ton of horizontal movement are some of the most effective pitches you can throw right on right so this is why Alzelay Sider works really well. He throws it hard. A little bit of that vertical movement creates some kind of unexpected movement. It doesn't look like a lot of other sliders, and it moves a lot laterally. Really hard for right-handed hitters to pick this pitch up, especially when it's sequenced with the fastball well. That's a really good pitch. But when you turn that over to the left-handed side, what happens is guys tend to have a little bit steeper swings, so they're able to stay inside that ball a little bit longer. And I'm still kind of understanding this and digging into it and asking some coaches about it. But the general theory that I like the most is that, like, think of, like, a Brandon Belt who has a really, like, like lateral, like vertical swing. They call it like a vertical bat angle, VBA is the metric, but I'm not going to get too deep into it. But he swings very vertically. If you pause a point of contact on Brandon Belt, his bat's almost like perpendicular to the ground, as opposed to like an Alex Bregman, where if you pause at that same yeah. location, the bat will be flat. The idea is that guys with more vertical bats, which are like the Freddie Freeman's, the, generally where you go when you end up uh, in a little bit more of like a power alley kind of guy, like a high K, maybe decent walk, high homer, Patrick Wisdoms of the world, you know, like those guys have a really good ability to stay inside those sliders such that when you add a cutter to that repertoire, it becomes a little bit of a different pitch for them to pick up and it's harder for them to pick up. So my theory is that I actually think the cutter is a great thing for him to add versus left-handed hitters and might neutralize them. I just think it maybe took him a while to understand that um, or get comfortable with the pitch or actually have it be a good pitch because cutters are kind of funky. Not a lot of guys really throw effective cutters. Like Zach Wheeler is really good. He throws like a slider, but there's a portion of that pitch versus a cutter. He learned that from DeGrom. Like there's clearly some theory here on how it works and why it's good. But I, I'm super in on Alzale. Like I think that it's kind of crazy to think he's not in the rotation. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like if not, then he's an absolutely dominant multi-inning reliever because no one, you're not going to hit him as a righty. Like yeah. I, I, I would bet that 10 days a week, like it's just, it's a really good slider. And like it's yeah. going to get right-handed hitters out and I don't think anything will change that. So it's yeah, a matter we, of figuring out the lefty side. Yeah. We love Elzele. Like, I, I love his I stuff. Too, yeah. I mean, but, I mean, Joey Votto, I think, is batting, like, 800. In, <laughs> like, like that series, yeah. like, Votto just destroyed it. It was like, all right. Yeah. Like, that's, like, I would maybe, imagine that gets maybe skip that series. Votto's, Votto's, <laughs> Votto's, like, pause Votto at point of contact. Like, he looks a lot like Brandon Bell. Like, those guys have a really good ability to stay inside those sliders. So like if, that, if that's a mistake pitch or even if he gets fooled a little, the way his swing goes, he's able – if that pitch is like going in on his hands, they're able to sweep through it more and make – create higher danger opportunities. Whereas like 
if you're taking a Bregman and flipping him over to the left side and swinging, like he'll get he'll get killed by those sliders. But uh, but yeah, Votto's of the world, Freeman's of the world are just gonna hammer him. But I think that the cutter, I think it's a good cutter. The cutter he was kind of missing at the end of last year it didn't have the best results. I think that that a pitch like that can really help him out. So you last year around this time you released your top twenty prospect rankings. Yeah. When's your when's this year's gonna be dropping? Yeah, I think we're shooting for that probably right around the start of the season, maybe right before the start of the season. The problem is I'm not sure how much is gonna change there, unfortunately, because like I I don't know how much new information we got at the end of the year um, on the data side of things and such. There'll probably be some movement with a guy like Triantos and such. Um, Christian Hernandez, like I'm hoping I could wait and get some early Arizona looks from scouts at him and incorporate that into the ranks because like. I think everyone's still kind of in the dark on him. We've seen some pictures and some swings, but like he literally has not like, I think these last couple of weeks I've been the first time he's taken like batting practice in the States and such. So like the, the eyes on him are really, really light. Um, so I don't anticipate too much movement on that. Maybe just some in, in, uh, improved blurbs and stuff of, of how I'm talking about some of the guys, but uh, it should be pretty consistent. Uh, we might expand it out a little to like 25 or 30, which would be fun. Cause I had, yeah. I, I ranked like upwards of 40 guys and we decided to only take 20. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. So I guess to kind of like uh, preface your, your top 20 list, I've got yeah. some, some rapid fire questions. Here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So we can, we can elaborate on any of these after if you want, because sure. I definitely oh, want, okay. if, you, if you have deeper opinions, like I'm really yeah. curious. So we'll start with favorite hitting prospect. Uh, favorite is interesting. I, I'd say my favorite is Kevin Alcantara. Yeah. I'll I guess, okay, I guess we can... <laughs> you can dig it if you want. <laughs> you say that and then do... Jake's like, I yeah, want to dig I it. Know, right? <laughs> no, I mean, so, well, I'm, I'm thinking about how you said, yeah, fa- favorite is different than, than best, yes. but I guess, yeah. like, when I say favorite, I guess, like, uh, if you're if you're projecting in, in, okay. in, the, in the Cubs system, who do you who do you see, like, with, with the best upside, the best hit, uh, hitter I think upside? That's where I was going with on favorite. It was Kevin Alcantara. Okay. Right. Yeah, I okay. think... I might even crazy to say Alcantara's upside is a little higher than Brent Davis, but I guess there's like a smidge of where that could be possible. I'll take it. Um, it's a really high outcome probability, and the Brendan Davis floor is much higher, much, much, much higher. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. I can't understand how much higher it is. It's not a knock on Brendan Davis at all. I just think like the raw tools of an Alcantara and his body type are something that you don't really see a lot. And like, he, he's kind of, in my opinion, he's like a Jose Martinez y kind of guy. Where like, and we the Cubs got really a bad example of Jose Martinez when they signed him. I think in 2020, where he was like, he's on his he was on his way out, and yeah. he just didn't look good. But like the old Jose Martinez, the guy who really good OBP, super lanky guy, had some power. Like you could get an Alcantara version that is like that, who's able to cover a bit of the plate with his arm length and stuff, and hit the ball incredibly hard. Like I I think he's he has really really high upside to convert into like a a solid like three to four win outfielder, which would be a, a really really nice. Uh, yeah. get for them from the Rizzo trade. Yeah, I like that. So then on the opposite side, uh, favorite pitching prospect? Um, Probably harder for you. Yeah, <laughs> this is tough. I feel you. like there's a lot of guys I've touched on here uh, in various forms. I'll go a little off the radar just because I've kind of turned on him recently and Fangraph turned me on to him, so credit to them. Is Drew, Drew Gray, the 2021 third rounder. Uh, I think that in 2020, when the Cubs overhauled a lot of their player development on the pitching side, you started to see them actually push towards guys who I think are a little bit more of the modern pitcher. And I feel like Drew Gray ends up in that territory really nicely in terms of what he mixes from the left side of the slider fastball. 
Um, so I really like that combination. I think that Fangrass is pretty spot on and putting him in like top 20. I think I'll maybe be right around there with him. But the upside there is really good. Kantrovitz actually killed this draft from the first three rounds, from what I understand and have seen and have heard. Just just really good. Like, I don't think any other team in baseball has been able to convert, like, three of these guys to potential, like, 45, 50 future guys, value yeah. guys from the scouting perspective, which has been incredible for the first three rounds of a draft. So I, I think I'll go Drew Gray, but I can, there's so many directions I could go there. I feel like I've always been the high man on Anderson Espinosa. I still mm. feel like that's four pitches. Each of them grayed out at kind of around average on the stuff side, which I really like. And he throws really hard. And, like, he's run into so many injuries, and everyone discounts him because of that. But, like, I guess there's a chance that he turns it around. I mean, I just think it's in there. And if he could stay healthy and, like, actually continue throwing four pitches, which he's throwing, like, there, there's just not a lot of guys in the system who are throwing four pitches that are all pretty good. Um, yeah. So that pops for me. So I'd go Espinosa or, or I like Drew Gray a lot. But there's, a, there's so many directions I could go on that one. Palencia okay. is really fun. I like his fastball. Um, yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, it's it's good that we have a, a, like that many options as Cubs fans. It's been yeah. a while. It's been a yeah, while. yeah, yeah. It's funny because they're all around the same tier too. So there's there's really no like yes, the Brennan Davis of the hitting class. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I bet, that's another thing where I think you're getting a lot of like favorites. Well, and I feel like this season too. I mean, obviously with the 2020 loss season, I'm getting off track from the rapid rapid fire questions oh, good, here, good. but it's good. I think um, after the lost 2020 season in the minor leagues, guys kind of getting back on track. Obviously, there's some injuries in the system with pitching prospects last year. Yeah, I think yeah. that there are going to be some guys this season. I think it's safe to 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 uh, predict that there are going to be some pitching prospects that get to. There's got to be one in that in that huge corral to choose from that that gets to a higher tier of prospect. You, I mean, what do you think? You, you're more you're the professional. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I wonder whether we've ranked some of those guys like the Killings and the Jensens of the world a little bit higher because of their floor rather than their upside. So I sure. guess what you might see more is like pop ups. Um, rather than like a killing differentiating and becoming a top five. No, let's say like, yeah, like contending for top hundred placement and overall lists. I don't know if we're going to get too much of that. Cause I feel like, like the Jensen's and the Killians of the world are like in a weirder spot in terms of like, you really need something to change drastically. And they have some performance against higher levels to kind of give us an idea what's going on. So unless you see like a new pitch there, I don't know, but like a DJ Harris could pop up. That's another one I probably should have picked. I really like him from the left side. Um, yeah. We like him on, on the dingers. Yeah, we we love man. some DJ Harris. Yeah. I love DJ Harris too. So like, I, I think that you see maybe one of those guys differentiate, like if DJ, if DJ shoves again at higher levels and like, he's still sporting three pitch makes that change up still a really new pitch. As I talked to him about in that interview, like that's a guy I could see differentiating as like the top prospect in the system pretty quickly. Um, Cause he'll have performance probably at uh, probably South Bend, hopefully above South Bend, maybe if we're lucky. So like you get two levels, three levels of performance over two years, that young, good curveball fastball, deceptive slot, really good vertical movement, like on the fastball. Yeah. He's, he might be the guy that I think has the best chance of differentiating himself as the top pitching prospect in the system. Cause there's, there's just more probability of variance there for positive upside, I think. Yeah. Mm. So I know you said you don't really like to do this, but yeah, <laughs> first prospect to make their Cubs debut in 2022. Oh, interesting. Uh, I mean, the I answer everyone's going to want to hear is, is Davis, but I feel like it's probably just going to be a reliever. Like I think I was looking at the depth chart the other day mm. and the pen is just, it's kind of like, there's a lot of opportunity there. I'd love to see like a Ben Leaper. I'll go like cheesy answer and Ooh. go Ben Leaper. Like fastball slider combo on that kid's incredibly good. Um, like that's like you want to sort through the system look at modern pitchers modern relievers it's him again he's another guy who's running some injury history but he's like 95 um it's it's almost solely fastball slider he's just going to devastate righties like it's it's a really good slider like I, I just think he throws it hard and moves well um 
So I'd say like a Ben Leeper is a guy who could slide into the pen probably right away. So I guess I'd consider him in fringe prospect lane if you want to toss all those relievers into a bin, which I tend to do between like the broke caraways and the Ben Leapers of the world and stuff. But yeah, he'll he'll be my answer. I'd love to see Brandon Davis earlier rather than later, as everyone would. But yeah, I bet it's a reliever of some kind that would some upside. Yeah, good call. Good call. Um, best prospect in your eyes, you kind of maybe already gave it away. Best prospect acquired at the deadline. Uh, acquire like Alcantara. Yeah, if I'm if yeah. I'm loving him that much on the hitting side, probably him. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with that. Yeah. Let's see, we got a couple more here. Most slept on prospect in the Cubs system. Yeah. In the entire Cubs system, that's tough. Uh, or who's not being talked about enough? Maybe is a better way to phrase it. Yeah. Oh, I'm really interested to see some of these injury guys come off injury. Uh, yeah. Cole Franklin, Ryan Thompson, yeah. Michael McAveen. Just because I, I think some of them had decent pitch characteristics before. And like you're just not going to get a lot of bullishness on them because their, their workloads might be a little capped because they haven't thrown in two years on live pitching for most of these guys. Because like alt site stuff just doesn't compare to live in game action, from what I understand. So like th- that group is interesting just because they just don't have reps and we don't really know. But I don't know if I like throwing that on sleeper. Like sleeper and injury, I feel like often gets conflated a little bit. I'd probably go with like a, we probably need to be talking about like a Luke Little a little more. Like he's another guy, again, if we're going off pure stuff side and just looking at like what plays right now on the pitch movement side of things in Velo, like he's a horse. Like the dude is huge and he throws gas and he has nasty stuff. Like it's it's good. It's just he has no idea what's going, which like you run into with a lot of these guys um, yeah. in the minor leagues. I, I mean, of course, I'm going to shout out Max Bain too. He's my dude. Um, of course. He's slept on, but I feel like he's, he's, he's built his brand up enough now where like, you can't really say slept on anymore. I bet he'll laugh if he hears that, but like, yeah, he's, he's like, he's not slept on anymore. He's too good. Like everyone knows about him. He's really good at building his brand. He's, he's a great dude. He's on all these pods and stuff. And it's really been awesome. Like trying to create a positive image and influence yep. guys to do the same thing. And I, I respect him a ton for that. So like, yeah, he's slept on. Cause I think the stuff's great, but like, he's not slept on because everyone kind of knows who he is in Cubs land. Um, but yeah, I like a Luke little, um palencia maybe is a sneaky dark horse there he's another guy where i think there's some starter upside and the pitch mix is solid uh i really like his fastball that pops a lot um and he's throwing really hard to he's up to like 98 99 as a starter which is amazing uh as much as people want to say like the velocity side of things doesn't matter it matters a lot i think yeah, it's tied back to a lot of the injuries that comes ran into in the minor league side is like they were they realized when that 2020 regime came in with Breslau and other people that like velocity matters a lot um, and they really tried to push that because they know that it's successful. It's, the, it's the, the single most influential indicator of success if you're talking down to one variable. It doesn't mean it's the most, but it's like of the pie, it's probably the greatest portion. Just throw hard. So uh, I will take a guy like Palencia who's hitting upper 90s out, out of a starting rotation uh, a lot of the time. Where is Little set? Where's On like a list? Yeah, like Velo. Like where is it sitting at? Like Oh, I don't have the data, but I'm pretty sure he was up to like up to 100 or something like that I heard or like high nineties, at least it's just like, it's like, you want to talk like our tended zone on command side. Like he's just, it's going all over the place, which it's fine. Like he's young. He's a really young dude. It's just, I mean, like he figures out to hone that in, you know, I don't even think he needs to hone in that much. Like you look at a guy like a Lucas Sims from the reds, like that dude's got no idea where the ball is going. If you ever watch him start, but like his slider is devastating. He spins that thing like incredibly well. And like, that's a guy where like you could survive in the major leagues with like well below average command if your stuff's that good. And I think Luke Little's stuff is that good. It's essentially like the short recap of him, I'd say. I have to confirm on the data side there. I don't want to talk something out, but I'm pretty sure he's upper 90s. 
So this this next one's pretty abstract. Um, okay. Who's making the biggest impact five years from now on this Cubs team? Ooh. So biggest impact is in like, I guess in five we'll say years like, who has the most wars? Like most. Yeah, yeah. I would team. say like on, on, a, on the team, like let's say like what the twenty twenty seven season. Who's 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 projected to to put up the most war? Yeah. That's tough. I think there's a couple sneaky answers. I mean, Brendan Davis is like a really obvious one. Yeah. I do feel like that. I mean, I had Pete Crow Armstrong two on the list because I just think the defensive pool is so high and the contacts there and the Cubs love contact. Obviously, with yeah. the Nick Madrigal acquisition and such, like you can clearly see that. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, like, I think of Pete Armstrong's floor, like, if you want to go safe and kind of chicken out of that, like, in, in the 2027 season, I could see Pete Armstrong being a gold glove outfielder in like a, I don't want to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to check it here, but like a Kevin kiermeyer kind of way, um, mm. but with more contact. So you're probably going to go with the higher OBP as opposed to Kiermaier, who's a bit of a swing and a miss guy. But like Kiermaier's had six to eight years of positive defense. He's been a, he's averaging like two war a year, two, four war seasons. Like he was really, really good when he was younger. He's an incredible defender. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a, that's a peak Armstrong area territory where he's like a 330 OBP guy. He goes like 15 and 20, 15 homers, 20 steals, and he's plus plus defense outfielder. And like, it's not going to pop. Like, you're not going to watch him every day at the plate and be like, man, this guy's like raking. But it's contribution. It's OBP. That's maybe a little bit above league average, and it's stellar defense. Um, mm. And a, I don't know. I think Wrigley's dimensions the outfield are relatively small. So I feel like he's a guy who could just cover so much. So I like, I think Pete Armstrong is a fun answer there. Just because like, cool. you're kind of chickening out with the floor. It's like, I don't think his defense is going to deteriorate. And like, Maybe he finds some power later in his career, runs into like a Brandon Crawfordy kind of 25 home run season. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you have Gold Glove outfielder, league average OVP, 25 home runs. Like that's four war pretty easily. You know, like I, I, if you're projecting anyone else for higher than four war, like you're projecting to be an all-star, perennial all-star. So really the only guys to be able to compete with that are like high upside Kevin Alcantara. Casey, I think has the offensive upside. Love that dude. But the defensive position is a little bit like what's going to happen there, which I think again, limits the war, out, war production at the end of the day. So yeah. I like Pico Armstrong, but the obvious answer is Brendan Davis. We got one other, one more rapid fire. Uh, yeah. Just MLB. Who is who is your top prospect in MLB right now? Oh, I love Bobby Witt. I'm a Bobby Witt yeah. guy. It's yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of. I feel like it's no, it's him or it's him or, or, or Julio Rodriguez. Yeah. Right? I mean, Adley's a good one too, uh, just because the catcher yeah. stuff's always funky. But yeah, I'm I'm still a little bit uncertain how how potentially Robozone stuff influences catcher framing. If he's a really good framer, comes up as a framer, he loses that skill, then like. My understanding is there's going to be a greater population of guys who could catch. So you run into more guys who like 
just set up middle, let the guy throw it over the plate, and let the yeah. ball strike zone tell where it is. And like, I'm just going to try to mash and be better than OBP. So like, that might screw up his value. Game managing, of course, is a huge thing in that for the catchers. But but Bobby Witt's like, like all his bad ball metrics are insane. Like makeups are fantastic, playing a premium position. I just I just love that dude. I think he's going to pop. I think he's immediately going to pop and end up in like. I don't want to say he's going to end up in Fernando Tatis area, but like, like some of the hard hit numbers on him are pretty identical to what we were seeing the minors from, from a Tatis or equivalent kind of player. So I, I'm in on him for sure. Julio Rodriguez is also really fun. There's, yeah. there's, there's a pretty good debate there, but I'm going Bobby. Watching yeah, yeah. Bobby Witt take batting practice yeah, at the right. Iowa Cup Stadium. A ton this year. <laughs> the, the ball, like you, it sounded different. Yeah. Like you're sitting there listening and you're like, you just hear it. Like, yep, that's, He's that's good. a different swing. That's Royals got one. That whole Royals minor league system, I think they're a team that's up and up. Uh, Prado, yeah. Melendez, uh, Pasatino, like they're they're legit. That team's gonna bop for a really long time. I'll and if those pi- if those pitching prospects have a better showing this year, yeah, I Lynch mean, Bubik, watch yeah, out for the Royals because they've they've got yeah they got yeah, easily seen the minors too. Everyone kind of forgot about him. Yeah, it's a great yeah. point. Yeah, I got a, so. We kind of we kind of have talked about the Cubs' current rotation. We obviously talked about Alzali. We talked about uh, Hendricks. Mentioned a little bit of um, of Mills. Talked about all the guys there. But from your perspective, is there still a hole in the Cubs' rotation? Do you think that the combination of Alzali, Thompson, Steele, and Abbott are enough to shore things up? If not, is there a specific free agent out there that you're still interested in? Ooh, that's a good question. I didn't really do too much prep on that one. I think it's I think it's good enough. I guess I'm more on Justin Steele than I am on Keegan. I don't think Keegan mm-hmm. has the stuff to survive. I, it's just my opinion. Like, I think he's a good dude. And I think mm-hmm. he could totally end up being a major leaguer for a really long time. But, like, I just don't think he was missing enough bats, really. Yeah. Like, I, I think he maybe was, but some of the predictive metrics around how he was missing that bats isn't particularly sustainable. Whereas, like, Steele's a little bit more deceptive in terms of how he was throwing. I thought the slider was really good. Slider curve mix. Hit feel for a little bit more feel for spin than Keegan, in my opinion. Um, I think there's a greater chance Justin Steele makes a little more of an impact. So I'd say mm-hmm. if you're if you're telling me health's fine on those guys, I think Steele and a Steel was like combo for that spot there is perfectly fine. I'm trying to think of other starters that are still on the market that would be interesting. Yeah, um, I should have put it in the notes, but yeah, if, if there's any, let me see if I can like pull up a list quick uh, and see if anybody pops off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, I'm not I'm not sure on the starter market side of things. Um, you know, I mean, killing can come up. I'm trying to think of other high-level starting pitchers. Corey Abbott's another guy. I know he's he's really into design stuff. He's got a pretty pop and maybe do something a little more interesting that he did last year. He was tossed between the rotation and the pen so much last year, too. So many guys were. Yeah. It's just the workload stuff around all the injuries that popped up. It's so difficult for these guys sometimes. Where it's like we're looking at, you know, did Abbott have a routine? Like, what percent of last year did Abbott have a routine? You know, and, like, I know he got beat up pretty hard at the major league level, but, like, 2021 he was still can a ton of guys in triple a like the bouncing of the in and out of the rotation is just brutal uh for guys especially jumping between all sides and stuff so i i still don't mind Corey abbott and stuff which may be a little bit of a hot take because he hasn't performed well but um he let me see finished the year me. abbott finished the year really well yeah exactly that's in september his that's the routine argument there is like maybe he's got a routine late and he's good you know i don't know he's an interesting one is there you got a list of Frasian pitchers for me? I don't know. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on. Uh, I don't even spot, spot rack. Spot spot yeah, track. Yeah, spot rack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one guy that actually comes up here, left-hander Brandon Finnegan, kind of flashed for a second with the uh, with the Reds. Kikuchi. We've talked about him a little bit, but he his his savant data looked pretty rough last year after a strong start. 
I like Kikuchi. Kikuchi's a driveline guy. I got to support my driveline guys. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah, Kikuchi was Kikuchi was interesting. Yeah, xFIP on him is much lower than FIP. He he got some. He got hammered on the homer side of things. Kikuchi's a fun one. I'll put my name in on him. Super yeah. diverse pitch mix. I'd imagine if he's at driveline, all those pitches are probably shored up pretty nicely. Um, yeah, I'd go Kikuchi. That's a great one. I forgot about him. Uh, yeah, fastball cut, change slider. Velo's good on fastball. I'd have to look at some of the pitch shapes on the slider to see how that thing pops. But he's like, an, again, he's a good natural homer regression guy. If he suppresses homers a little more, yeah. um, that's interesting. He's really interesting. So there, there are a couple there are a couple Pittsburgh names too. Uh, Chad Cool and Steven Brault were two guys that you think about guys that come in, we, we talked about it earlier on, guys coming out of Pittsburgh. Um, hmm. If you get them in the right place, I mean, one guy that drives me nuts, like, man, I want Mitch Keller. Like, obviously, Keller, not as a yeah, I used to love him as a prospect. Yeah, he's I'm, an Iowa boy. I'm, yeah, I'm a big fantasy player, and I've got him on my dynasty team. And oh my God, yeah, I'm just like, brutal, I want to right? They're so bad. And, yep. and, uh, and cool were two guys that were like, ah, they always like kind of showed maybe something's there. But I wonder if th- those would be guys that go to a, a, another organization and can show something off. Yeah, I feel like I've seen a lot of them pitch against the Cubs last year. Well, I feel like we ran into a lot of those Pirates games I was watching. Um, I don't know if I have too strong an opinion on either of those guys. Bro, I think Cool was injured. Cool. Actually, both those guys were injured most of last season. Cool. If I remember, if right. I remember correctly, Cool was the one who had some more interesting stuff from my perspective. Yeah, another guy with Homer problems. He was Kane more than Brawl. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'd go Kikuchi over those, but Kikuchi's going to be a little more expensive. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some options out there. It's just a matter of like what the Cubs think they can identify and change with a guy reliably. And I also right. think like you're running into a bit of an issue here where it's like a lot of pitch design stuff and a lot of these sessions that guys go through are done in the offseason. It's, it's relatively rare to see them done in season. So whenever you mm-hmm. see a guy like a, I was like at a cutter in season, like that's a little bit of like a like he's got to put in a ton of work to do that. Because you're doing that on top of your daily routine and your other right. maintenance stuff to just keep yourself healthy. So, like, when guys add pitches or reshape pitches in season, sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm back to normal or cue on it. But, like, if they actually worked on a new pitch with Ausley, which I assume they did on that cutter, that's a ton of work and dedication from that guy to actually execute that change. Um, so, the other thing I'd, I'd say is, like, some of these free agent guys, it's like a lot of teams might just be looking at him like what he was is what he will be. Or they might be looking at him and going, like, what is a really small change we think we can make? you know, to like elicit a better result. Cause like, they're not gonna have time to go through a full pitch scrape down and rebuild, you know, like they can't, if they don't like what they're seeing with Brault or cool, like I just don't think the team's going to acquire them. Cause they're not gonna have time right. to be like, we want to reshape your fastball to this and then reshape yeah. your slider to this. Like you're going to, you're not going to have communication with cool until whenever there's logons over. If that's the yeah. end of February, mid February, like you got a month and a half to get him in your rotation. It's like, maybe we run in some scenarios where he's sharing time with like the fifth starters of steel and, steel and Owsley of the world and then maybe they like extended spring them i don't know that just seems a little weird i imagine a lot of these guys are going to want major league contracts so yeah yeah that's tough it's it's, it's a tough scenario the lockout's kind of i mean we i feel like we were like finally getting a normal off season of course we don't because the lot <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like 20 we're going to be like three years since the last normal off season we actually get like yeah. team interaction with players to do to achieve player development goals they want to achieve it's like jesus christ <laughs> right right well, I don't want to take any more of your time, and we have a lot, a lot to sift through. Because, like, man, you just thank you so much for like just yeah, meeting with much. us, talking to us, and 
your and knowledge like, yeah, and like everything. You're like, it's great. I could listen to this all day. I'm sure Jake is like eating this up because he loves all this data analytics <laughs> and digging deep into prospects and all that stuff. It's great. And and I think our listeners need to hear it. And they, they need to hear that there's a lot of things in our, our system that we have to look forward to. And we have a yeah, for sure, plethora for sure. of, of pitching and some guys like – Brandon Davis that we're excited to see this next year. So thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you hopping on. Um, Where can they find you on Twitter or the social medias? Yeah. Lance BROZ is, I think all my stuff's linked up on that. I don't do much on Insta, pretty big on Twitter. Uh, I link everything through there. Checking my YouTube and doing some stuff. Great YouTube content. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pushing a bit. So uh, yeah, just search, search me. My DMs are open to on Twitter. I know he's got any questions. I'm always having to chat and kind of explain some stuff because it helps me when I like, I talk to somebody who doesn't understand something because then I'm like, I try to think of a different angle of like what I could do better to improve the way I'm communicating. So that's something I'm always looking for is people who don't like what I'm talking about. So <laughs> boom, because I guess a lot of people don't like analytics, which is exactly what I, who I want to hear from. You yeah, don't like yeah. analytics. You don't agree with what I'm saying. Let's talk. <laughs> I'm happy to chat for whatever. And check him out on Marquee sports network. Yeah. We're, we love Marquee Sports Network. Glad uh, the Cubs are on there. And um, yeah, but thanks for joining us, Lance. Anytime. Appreciate it. Well, Jake, man, that was that was a lot. And that was a lot of great information. And yeah, I'm going to have to re-listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> and like kind of figure out like, okay, what, what is something that I'm really going to grab onto? And really, I want to dig into a little bit of the data and see – uh, like pitch mixes and looking at like Killian. I want to go back and watch that AFL game, the championship game and see if I notice anything in, in his pitch mix. And yeah, well, it's, it's tough too. I mean, he was talking, talking about some stuff. Um, he, he talked a lot about command and stuff. And um, thanks to my fantasy baseball angle, I know Eno Saris, uh, great fantasy baseball writer, if not one of the best, um, has has metrics called command plus and stuff plus which he shares on the athletic i don't know if that data is available to to us yet um Mm. if it is i don't know where uh but i think that's what lance was talking about i meant to ask i didn't get a chance to but um yeah i mean it it just is it's great to see all this data being utilized and obviously for marquee to hire a guy like lance it shows that the cubs are really embracing analytics um you know outside of the organization too i mean it's it's being talked about uh, on on marquee now, which is really important, and I'm really looking forward to guys leaving organizations. I don't want them to leave their jobs, especially if they're with the Cubs. But I'm looking forward to these guys in organizations to come out into the media and and talk about what's going on behind the scenes. I'm so curious. Like if I could get in on that pitch lab and just like sit sitting there sit for a day, watch. like oh man, that'd be awesome. But um, and it was encouraging too. Like the question you asked about, um, you know, is is hitting when is hitting going to come back? Take take the forefront and, and what's what's going on there. There's a lot of stuff that he talked about that I didn't really realize was going on. I mean, the angles of, of the swings is probably stuff that I should know about, but um, maybe it's just not really being talked about that much. So, yeah, yeah that was great. great well, that's where that's where an analytical guy like him that he goes and looks at all that stuff is key to be able to have that information out for us. Yeah, just a fan. Um, and I hope Marquis starts using him a little bit more in game to break down some That'd of those awesome. types of things. Yeah. Those are the things I think we're missing. And like, for me, like I'm not a huge data analytic guy. I just love baseball, yeah. but now like he's a person that can really give that information in such a way that one, I can understand 
and he explains it really, really well. And I, I think he's right. Being more on the video side and for, for people like me that I don't like to dig into fan graphs and go through all the data and figure all that. It just takes up too much time. Like I don't have the time to do that, but if you can show me like I'm all about it. Like show me video of um, a pitch mix and then um, how the cutter is working off the slider. Okay. I can understand that and see why those, why they're trying to um, pitch shape those two together. Like I get that. Yeah. And so that's where he's going to come in key and, and it makes like analytics and that stuff you understand it more why it's so important to look at all the data and then see how it it plays into the game yeah yeah it'd be great i mean it'd be great to in broadcast see him break down pitch tunneling you know the yep. way that we see uh pitching ninja do on twitter it'd be great yep. to see that you know here's why alzali is really effective today if they can put if, he, if they can piece together a video of, of the overlays you know mm. mid-game that's that would get fans who who aren't into analytics into analytics because seeing that stuff is so so intriguing. Like it's it's yeah. it's really cool. And the one thing that I that I had to remind myself as I'm sitting here thinking like, oh man, this guy knows so much. Like, yeah, it's his job, you know. Like it's yeah. his job to know this much. I have to remind myself like, oh man, I'm not I'm not up to snuff. It's like no 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 no. You have a you have a day job. This is his day job. You know. Yeah. So it's 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 cool to 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 hear someone whose job it is to be up on all of this. Um, you know, answering our questions. So it was, it was uh, invaluable. I'd, hopefully we can have him on again. That'd be a blast. Yep. So tomorrow, do you think we're going to get good news with the the meeting between the owners and the players? You know, I, I'm at a place where, where uh, don't expect anything because, because then whatever, if anything good happens, then it surpasses expectations. It's a great Tuesday, right? So yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I haven't read any breakdowns on, on what's got, what, what went on today. Um, but I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic. What I did hear is that they gave up a little bit, like they gave up uh, the control for six years. They gave up that a little bit, the player side, which yep. that's my whole thing with this is if both sides are stubborn and we have to understand that it's the owner's game. <laughs> It's the owner's game. Like whether yeah. we like it, we're pro player or pro, pro owner, like from the majority of people, they're pro player. But we have to understand that it's the owner's game. Yeah. And I look at it as this way is like the owners own the pie. And all the players want is a couple pieces of that pie. And I hope they look at it like this, that they can sign like a, a six-year deal and get a couple pieces that they want. And hopefully – in six years, then they can go after the rest of the part of the, of the pie that they want. If they just go for all of it right now, they're not going to get it and we're not going to have a season. So I like them showing that, they, okay, we want these things and the owners are willing to go for those and give up a little bit now to hopefully get it later on. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Hopefully some, hopefully we, we get some good news tomorrow. Yep. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of the Dingers podcast. Thanks for listening. Go check us out on YouTube at Shy City Sports YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, Dinger Cubs. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us this week on the Dingers podcast. Make sure you visit ShyCitySports.com where you can subscribe so you'll never miss a show. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet at us at Dinger Cubs or join our Facebook group. Just search Dingers, a Chicago Cubs fan podcast group. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time for more Chicago Cubs baseball. 
Thanks again. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.